This is The Verse, a weekly dive into the cinematic universes and beyond. We'll dissect the latest episodes, films, and news all fans from veterans to news are dying to know more about. Now, here's our team of pop culture superheroes we call The Verse Squad. Welcome to The Verse. Hello, Verselings. Welcome to another special bonus episode. As part of our extended verse, we interviewed the writer and producer for Ms. Marvel, Bisha K. Ali. Previously, Bisha worked as a writer on Sex Education on Netflix and for Four Weddings and a Funeral, the TV show on Hulu, before joining the MCU as a writer on Loki. She spoke with us about her career and what it was like to land such a coveted opportunity. Let's go to the interview. Thank you very much for joining us here on The Verse. We're really excited to talk to you. Uh, we've been watching the series and we've all been, we've been talking very highly of it. Um, and with that being said, of course, we always want to hear the origin story of you. How did you decide to get into what you're doing now? Oh my gosh, decide is a very generous term. Um, I think I've always been, uh, had like a deep connection with storytelling in, in so many different forms. And I think part of it is from kind of my family that oral storytelling is, I guess, part of my culture, but also just something that happened a lot that my grandparents used to sit and tell stories and kind of hold court and tell their stories. And then that kind of, my father was the same. My mom was the same. My God, my mom can tell stories for, for a country. Um, and then I think that certainly kind of is inherent in me as well. And I think I kind of combine that with, I remember I've been talking about this a lot recently, but I remember when I was like eight years old and I wrote this short story for a class thing and Mr. Miller, my English teacher was like, this is amazing. And he made me read it out to the whole class. And I was like, oh wait, public validation for storytelling. Like those two things fused in my head. And that's, I kind of put this career down to like, this is his fault. Um, so that kind of, that's always been, that's always been part of me. And I think even though I kind of worked in different fields before I ended up really making a push for working in media, make, working in kind of uh, storytelling for screen. That's always been part of me to some extent. And I think the other flip side to that is um, I was I was an indoor kid. I was raised on television and film and just constantly consuming, consuming, consuming. And my parents weren't very good at um, age-appropriate censorship, shall we say? Like if there was violence, stuff like that in movies. Like I saw it, like the TV, it, the two-parter. Like when I was a kid we'd watch that when I was like seven and it would just be something that we Same. watched and it was just part of my life yeah but if there's anything like slightly sexy happening then it was like change the channel but if there's violence and like <laughs> horror my mom was like yeah dig in enjoy um that's so American so I was just kind of fully loaded with storytelling <laughs> I think she's just like yeah life is scary learn now so um I don't know why I'm assuming that's her reasoning I don't think there's any reason to it really so yeah that's that storytelling's always been a part of kind of I just love movies and I love television. I've just, I found myself, those are my friends growing up uh, more so than anyone in real life. Um, and talking about those, the film and the TV that I was consuming online, I was kind of at the internet, age, the dawn of the internet age in some ways. Um, and being parts of a part of those communities online kind of buoyed that up and gave me a space to communicate with people and I think if you add into that like I'm a massive gamer as well like the kind of storytelling more than gaming that was going on at the same time I was like oh okay there's just these so many different forms of storytelling that I was consuming and being a part of and so I think yeah a combination of all those things is how I ended up doing what I'm doing now. <laughs> uh, as you know we've obviously been watching your show and yes. we are loving it so far Thank you. Uh, but I'm curious about the your relationship with Ms. Marvel 
you know, over since it was published as a comic. So, you know, were you a fan of the comics when they came out or have you read them since? And then how did you come to be a part of Ms. Marvel now? Yes, the three-parter. Please hold all those three parts in your mind because I'm likely to go off on a tangent and so you can bring me back. So I will say that my relationship with the comics in the first instance was, um, I read them when they came out before I was ever a TV writer. I think it's 2014. And they're just for sale at my local comic book shop. Um, I think it was either Orbital or Gosh Comics in Central London, actually, when I first picked up um, some of those first issues. And back then also I was in like a single issue collecting phase. So I was buying them single issues, which was, I can't maintain that lifestyle anymore. Um, so I I had a really immediate relationship with those comics because the first time I'd read a comic book that featured someone with so many similarities to me personally, but also was treating them as a matter of course. Uh, her her superhero-ness, so to speak, was not necessarily um, as a result of her racial or religious identity but all of those things created the fabric for who she is um and into her who her character is on a really basic fundamental level and I'd ha- I hadn't I don't feel like I'd seen that before at that point and there's also just the visual like the very visual reaction that you have when you open a comic book and you suddenly see someone you're like oh I know that person because they're my neighbor or my cousin or my sister or me that's a very different experience that I haven't had before and so I've always had like this long-standing relationship with it and I remember very distinctly also buying all the variant covers they did they did like I have the um it's like a Lauren Hill there's like a there's like a there's a very specific variant cover that I have that I feel very precious about um so that was way back in 2014 and I didn't think I would be a TV writer let alone head writer for the show that anyone would ever do this show at that point that was just me because I also read comics so that's just part of my life and then if you kind of fast forward from 2014 to I guess five years later my gosh it was fast um I was living in LA I was a TV writer which even saying it now even though I've just made this whole show I'm like wait I'm a TV writer um and the fact that uh everything had accelerated very fast and I was working on Loki that I knew that they had a, that there were going to be more television shows. I actually didn't know if it was going to be a television show or a movie. I just went to our executive on Loki, Kevin Wright, and I said, if you guys are doing a Miss Marvel show, you have to put my hat in the ring. Like, you don't piss about. <laughs> you have to You have to let me know if there's a meeting to be had, there's someone to talk to. Um, and I think on the day he was a little shady, he was like, I don't know, everything's a secret. Who knows what anyone's doing in any other department? And then the next day he came in and he said, yeah, I got your meeting, don't mess it up. So kind of snowballed from there so already being on the inside of um marvel studios having worked on loki was a big help i think in mm-hmm. getting the job well i'd love to ask like what did it feel like when you knew that you actually were gonna get the job i mean when you it was announced what was that like i didn't buy it i was like i don't you <laughs> i don't buy it i'm a new yorker that's my act <laughs> my reaction to everything is yeah sure what are you, yeah, what are sure. you trying to sell me <laughs> what do you want <laughs> yeah yeah What's your angle? Um, I think it was interesting because I'd kind of been, I'd say I was like grafting. Like I was working on that pitch. It kind of occupied all of my thoughts. And you, after a certain point, you kind of, imposter syndrome is like normal for any artist. I think, especially because I'm, sometimes I'm aware, sometimes I'm not aware, but I'm very aware of my age <laughs> in that I'm often in rooms where I'm the youngest person in the room. And I'm very aware of that. And I'm very aware of my experience level. I'm aware of, so then these things happening for me or that I've worked for and then I've succeeded in getting, I, there's like a disconnect between like the reality and what's happening in real time. So I remember when I got the phone call, it was like, um, I wouldn't say like the week after the or the pitch that I'd given um, and the exec called me up and she said, uh, hey, so I know you've got your flight book for London, but can you make sure it's a return? Because 
we want you to come back and be the head, the head writer on Miss Marvel. And I was like, huh? <laughs> what? I couldn't believe it. I was really just in shock. And then I did go to London for a week and then I came back. But um, yeah, it was it was a very strange moment, a very quiet moment for me because it was kind of like Loki, my job on Loki had wrapped up. I'd been working like, I'd been like laser focused on sorting out this pitch and kind of putting all my all into it. There was just a silence, internal silence for me. So it was very strange. It was very strange. This series takes starts off taking place in Jersey City, um, yes. which is, is true to the comic books. Was it important to you to keep it located in Jersey City to keep it in line with the comics? Or was there ever like a push for like, well, it's Jersey City. Maybe we just push it over to New York or anything? No, no, absolutely not. I think the whole Jersey City itself is a character. All the locations we go to in the show are characters in the show in their own right. And Jersey City is so much of the fabric of who Kamala is as a result of being from Jersey City. The idea of New York being across the way, that kind of yearning for something, it ties into her yearning for being part of Captain Marvel's world um, and part of the Avengers, both in the comics and on what we see on screen. So there was never a question of, oh, should she be actually a kid from New York? No, she was always a kid from Jersey City. And that was foundational to who she was. Yeah, because it would have been really easy to push AvengerCon into like New York City. But instead, you guys decided Camp Lehigh um, and the birthplace of Captain America, which I thought was cool. Uh, Did you happen to visit Jersey City to get inspiration for the character that would be Jersey City? No, I'm so gutted. We had plans. We had plans to. And then that the old, big old C word came up. Oh, um, yeah. But no, I never went to Jersey City. I became increasingly obsessed with Jersey City as time went on, <laughs> certainly even just in my pitch phase. Um, I remember also there's, they have like a, a coal, this thing called the Colgate Clock. And I was like, I'm setting a million scenes of the Colgate Clock. <laughs> I'm at this really obsessive phase. It's like a literal massive clock just that exists i don't know i love um parts of a city that have no logical current explanation for existing and i just i adore that so i really wanted to set something there um i think you can see a snippet of it in the closing t- in the end credits there's a, some artwork that pays homage to the old colgate clock um but that's as far as we went with it you know i was obsessed um but no i never actually went to jersey city which i'm gutted about i know that a lot of our uh, recce and a lot of our team did and also of course we had sana manat who knows all about jersey city and her being part of the process meant that that was really uh, specific um, to the reality of where that place was because she knows all about it. Also, can I just say the Camp Lehigh thing? I'm still really pleased with us for figuring out that Camp Lehigh was like relatively travelable from Jersey City because we a lot of the debate was, so where are we going to put? A, we had AvengerCon. We knew that was going to be kind of one of the key places in the arc of um, the episode and we specifically did not want her to go to New York for AvengerCon because it felt like symbolic of something character-wise that we just didn't want to do like if it was so easy for her to go to New York it's just saying something about her that we don't think is right for that point in the story and then I remember Aisha Buri who's one of our staff writers she came and she's like well I was doing some research and I was like yes she said well you know Camp Lehigh is not that far away so <laughs> as soon as she said that we were like how long have you been sitting on this research she's like about a week I just wanted a good time to say like Aisha <laughs> this is perfect so we're really excited when she made that discovery and it all pieced together so well that is such great attention to detail because you would like you would expect that anything jersey city you'd be like you know new york's right there there's like all of this thematic stuff that that can fall in perfectly as you're saying but it, but it wasn't right it wasn't right at this time for the character and i i love that you you know made creative decisions otherwise you know i think that's what we're always chasing is um for me i'm always led by that like what's what does every action this person take <laughs> take have to say about who she is and if it's so easy for her to go to I mean story and like 
some kinds of story logic wise like yeah it's just there get on the train but it just didn't ring true for character I think we're all every decision we make we try to drive by that um framework yeah one of the things that was most surprising to me you know I assumed we'd see Jersey and maybe some parts of America then we suddenly are in Karachi and that for me was lovely because I it not only did it really help like you said with flushing out the character the family the backstory everything but just to be able to travel at a time like i used to travel internationally constantly for work and then since COVID hit i can't so just being able to be transported to different cultures and around the world i know you didn't really film in karachi unfortunately but uh, i would just love to you know hear about that was it challenging and like how was that story-wise did it just come organically out of the uh the story you were telling i think came really organically for me I think the thing that was that we were all talking about in the room and that felt true to me as well was it was not unusual to go visit your grandparents in another country if you're a second gen that felt normal it felt right and also because of the character arc that we'd built which was really about I mean we've all seen episode five so I can talk about it now yes it's out sorry my brain is melting um the character arc that we're building and which ties into story is essentially these four generation of women and their healing over intergenerational trauma and just being bearing witness to each other. That's her journey. That's the arc. That's the story. Um, more than anything else, that is the story. Um, so it's interesting because I wouldn't even frame it as backstory. This is the story is that she's going and seeing some bearing witness. And so um, it felt very natural to us for her to go there. And it also was born of all the experiences of the writers in the writers' room, of what their experiences are going back to visit family. And they're all vastly different. Um, and it was really important to us that we had this opportunity, right? We had, as far as I knew going into this project, we had six episodes of this show and then she's going to go off and be in the Marvels doing whatever the Marvels do. Um, And then who knows what the future is, right? Will there ever be a chance again for us to explore the things that we want to explore? And so we kind of went into this six hours feeling like this is our chance to tell a story that paints this beautiful broad picture that tells so much of what we want to tell about through this character and about this character. So it felt really inevitable to us that that would be part of this season, because who knows if there's going to be a season, like, especially when, if, I, if you think about the fact that I had just come through Loki and while, while my role on Loki ended, there's no guarantee of a season two that, that came, that announcement came at the end of it being released, which was like a year later. So, and none of the other shows, as far as I, I can remember maybe I'm wrong you guys might know better than me you have been announced for a season two so there's no promise of more time to tell a story this is the time you have so that's why there's this kind of sense of urgency amongst all of us of what we wanted to get before she kind of became part of the kind of the core of the MCU which I'm sure she'll I mean I really don't know what happens in the Marvel so let's see <laughs> no I love that and then the way it showed off all these um family dynamics especially for second gen immigrants, which I am also one of. And um, I thought it was fascinating to see because there were so many things that I was really, there was like a lot of things that I was expecting to feel really resonant because, and, and I was doing that same thing that like people annoyingly do with like Asian populations in general. I was like, we're all Asian. Like we all have the same experiences. <laughs> I walk into the series and I was like, oh, this is actually uh, vastly different, but like remarkably similar in a lot of ways too. And so I just, um, I can tell that like the, the people in the writer's room are, are writing from experience or writing from a personal place. I don't know if I have a question there, but it's more of an appreciation. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you. I think the key to that, what's interesting about what you said that to me as well. I mean, all of it was interesting, but one thing that popped out to me that just made me think of something was this, um, I think there's a 
there's no way to represent representation like the idea of one story representing billions or millions of people is just a bizarre mission impossible that no one can succeed at so what we were really leaning into was specificity down to details that are so specific that you'd have to be in the know to know how specific they are so things like at Taisha and Amir's wedding one of the kind of traditions that they do is they knock kind of the bride and groom's head together and you have auntie ruby explaining to bruno what that is but that's not all that's not necessarily a, a specifically a muslim tradition nor is it a pakistani tradition it's actually from like my county in pakistan that's where that tradition's from like it's a sindhi tradition so the level of specificity mm, we're like let's get as specific as possible and people can connect to things whether they do like people will connect to what something that resonates with them regardless and so it was really important to us that we weren't trying or aiming for a really broad representation of everyone we were telling a very specific story about this particular family and the rest is you know up to the viewer to do the magical thinking in between you know it's it's interesting that you you bring it up that like not one story will encapsulate uh, a feeling for a bunch of different people and uh, my question would be about that would be you know, uh, our producer, his daughter is um, going to McNair Academic, um, which I think Cole's Academic is based on in in the oh really the, in the story, <laughs> um, and uh, apparently they're really jazzed to see their school on on the screen and whatnot. The community vibe that it gives off. Have you heard a lot of like positive support from like like that Jersey City? And especially the, the Islamic community that's in Jersey City, have you heard a lot of their um, their their connections to this uh, property? I don't know if I can say specifically to Jersey City. I can say more broadly that there's been a fair bit of a size of relief from the larger Muslim community. Like, oh, good, we're not terrorists. Great. And I'm like, yeah, correct. <laughs> of course I wouldn't do that. But I also understand the fear and apprehension going into any media. I mean, even Marvel has a history of um, othering us. So we have a lot to, <laughs> there's a lot to kind of, um, uh, there's a lot of trust to earn. But I think the fact is that when it comes to me and also the other writers in the room, like we are also that community that's we're one of you we're part of the community that's been maligned and marginalized on screen for decades so we feel the ache of that as much as our audience does and so we're coming from a place of love and a place of celebration when we're telling this story so I think people are picking up on that and are um pleasantly surprised um I wish it wasn't a surprise but that's speaking to a larger history of media representation so that I can't do I can't undo history but mm-hmm. I can at least try to move these in a different direction I think we've definitely done our best to do that and there's been some po- quite a bit of positive reaction to how Muslims have been portrayed in this show um and I'm happy with it I think we've done all right I'd say so I'm on reddit all the time and just reading some of the personal stories of people who are like yeah, I did one of the show not expecting much. And my God, like seeing my culture finally represented like accurately on screen. They're like, I didn't expect to have such an emotional reaction to that. Yeah. Um, so I'd say you definitely have some some fans out there that are, you know, maybe you uh, won them over to Marvel a little bit. But uh, Let's uh, hope so. yeah, I think one of the most spectacular things to come out of this is the casting of Iman Vellani. Uh, oh my gosh. She is like incredible. My God, is she charming as hell? Like. You know, I feel like this is seriously a marketing coup to get her. Uh, yeah. She's like the perfect casting, isn't she? She's basically Kamala. She's the fangirl. And I love her like <laughs> this is maybe a little silly, but like the way that she's got this, uh, this slightly romantic love triangle thing. It feels so believable because I'm just like, yes, everyone who meets her would fall in love with her. So like, <laughs> usually I feel like it's a little hard to believe in, in properties like this. But here I'm like, I'm all the way in. <laughs> A hundred percent. I think also there's so much love for all those boys in the writers' room too, who are like, 
okay, but Bruno, team Bruno because this, team Cameron because this, <laughs> um, team Kareem because this. So in the rise room, I mean, I was constantly on every team and then swapping all the time. Um, so there's a real like, love for all those boys. There's also with Iman, as you say, she's just, it couldn't have been more perfect. Like it feels unreal how perfect she is for it in that her own life and her own experience now certainly is um, t- matching up with this character's journey as well. Um, and that's something, it's like a magical thing that so rarely happens. And, you know, it's a big credit to... Um, Sarah Finn and Krista Hazar, who are in casting. I mean, look at the decade of casting work they've done on the MCU and they've yeah, continued incredible. that on here in this show as well. So, and I can't wait to see what she does next, what's going to happen for her in the MCU and beyond it. I think she's incredible. So moving on to some of our questions about kind of like the, the art direction and like, especially the look of the series, which is so distinct um, and so, you know, visually stunning. I'm curious how we, um, how we arrived at that kind of, comic book aesthetic of the series I feel like that's kind of new in the Marvel universe um I think it is and it well I don't know I think we're never thinking of it I think we're never approaching anything from a place of what makes us different from anything else but just more what do we want to do so that was always a thing you always led by creative instinct I think one thing that was really apparent from day one across the writers, across the producers, was everybody loves this comic book. And the idea of bringing it to life on screen was kind of inherent to how we were just talking about the show and the characters. So I think it really was rooted in that. And then I think about, there's like a really early draft of episode one that I wrote like in a kind of like adrenaline fugue state um, where the sequence where she does her plan of how she'll escape and she describes it to Bruno versus the execution of it. And that kind of... um, I remember Kevin giving notes on it and thinking like, oh, we haven't really done a version that's quite like this before. So how are we going to do it? Because I love it. How are we going to do it? And I think that kind of started this conversation around kind of realities, her reality reflecting her inner world. And then I think when we brought in Adil and Bilal and then the director, because all the scripts were written by the time we went out to any directors, they then came on and were like, okay, here we go. And so that kind of came this snowballing of how, how are we going to construct and craft this this way of telling the story. And I think what's interesting is you can also see the difference between the different directors as well, where some of that mantle was picked up, but also you get really individual approaches from each of the directors. And I love that because this show is about community and we had a community of creatives making it. I think I just adore the fact that we what was happening in the real world is really reflected in the show as well. Um, so that's kind of how it started and snowballed, I suppose. And also we have a great production design, Christopher Glass. You can he share she shares loads of great behind the scenes on his Instagram. If you haven't if you don't follow him, um, you should because he shows some of the builds and some of the designs he does for like for what the sets that were created and they're all incredibly impressive and he's like a beautiful genius. So a lot of it comes down to him too. So one of the things I I've absolutely gravitated towards, even though uh, like it's a little bit of a it's been a long time for me. Uh, being that young um marvel this is the first time marvel is focused and honed in on like a close-knit family dynamic and it's it's kind of refreshing to to finally see this were were you hoping that focus would really resonate with audiences and and how much of that did you draw from your um your own life experiences yeah i mean lots (laughs) lots are drawn from lots of the different writers room um participants participants that sounds weird some lots of different writers i think things like um and firstly first worth saying that that family dynamic exists in the comics and we just popped that out more for the show made more of the foundations because her family is the foundation for kamala khan um 
like things like the whole Bon Jovi, Brown Jovi, or like my mum is obsessed with Bon Jovi. And so I was like, that's my little love letter to my own mum is that um, I put Bon Jovi in this show way too much. Um, not way too much, exactly the right amount, I would argue. Um, but I remember just my mum would just blast living on a prayer. And I was like, is this for you? But it is, it's for her. So so that the whole Bon Jovi all was really me kind of tapping in. And also it's perfect because of Jersey City, obviously. Um, so there's elements of me. There's also elements of that I feel a bit universal. So for example, the scene where Kamala's asking for permission to go to AvengerCon, I feel like that 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 scene has played out genuinely in so many people's living rooms, um, certainly in Pakistani households, where you're like, well, here are all the justifications for why I should go. By the way, it's educational. Um, and really you're kind of, you know, the answer's no before you even start asking. <laughs> and I think that, for example, every single right in the right room is like, yep, I've had that exact conversation. So things like that. And I think the other thing that was drawn from from personal experience and that is again I think ends up being universal it's um that scene where the with the where the mum here's the costumes I've made for you and that's an act of love like that act of mm-hmm. making those costumes is like as much as she hates it and say like, oh god this is the worst possible thing imaginable for me it's an act of love and I think what um felt important in that scene was the turn right so then it turns and she she rejects it and the harm that we cause each other, even out of love, only because we're trying to define ourselves within this family, that feels really universal, that you can love someone deeply and still hurt them. And I think that moment really sums up a lot of what's going to happen in the show, actually. Yeah, I love that scene so much. Uh, you could like feel the cringe, but also like when now that I'm not a teenager anymore, there's a sense of just like, oh, that was like such a sweet thing. I, I talked about this on, on the podcast that like if my father would have came in when I was her age dressed as the Hulk saying we're going, I would have absolutely loved it because my dad was did not understand why I enjoyed the comics that I did growing up and everything. Yeah. So to see that, I was like, oh, yes. And, and then like, I felt for her because I knew like I was like, yeah, that's as a teen, that's social suicide. But at yeah, the same 16, time, it's like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> completely. And I think that's yeah. Things like that are are kind of through the lens of what's specific to us and like and to kind of a her specific experience both from her cultural background and her the the world that she comes from but as you say like universal you can everyone can understand being a teen and being embarrassed by their parents that's very functionally universal I think until you become the parents that your kids are embarrassed over it's the the circle of life really yeah I mean, I, one of the things that I really love that you changed from the comic books, even though you kept the whole family dynamic, is you switched it from being the father being the more strict and protective one and focused really more on the, the mother-daughter relationship, which I think is really the soul, like you said, of the, of the whole project. Um, you know, how, how did that come about through the writing process? So interesting. I'm sure, I'm sure it was a conscious decision at some point, but we've kind of evolved so far that it's hard to pinpoint exactly. But I would say, um, I think we felt a little bit allergic to a um, patriarchal figure being... Um, uh, especially a South Asian, a Muslim man coming off as in any way oppressive, um, which mm-hmm. is not what it's in the comics, but on in kind of looking at the media landscape that exists on television and film, we were we felt a bit allergic to that, but we, we don't want to portray that. Um, so there was an element of that too, of what we didn't want to say. There was an element of what we did want to say, which is about this line of just incredibly strong, awesome women. And I think we rarely get to see that with Muslim women in particular, who are in their strength, in their power, know how to love, and can learn how to love each other and hold themselves accountable and like grow from that. We're like, that's sick. We really want to chase that. So um, it wasn't really a like, a, oh, we specifically don't want to do this and therefore we'll do that. It was more, it was more of an organic conversation about what we want to say about the power of beautiful. And I mean, 
internally beautiful who they all happen to be externally beautiful too <laughs> but um that was really important to us well that's television that storyline <laughs> felt really you know that felt beloved to us that these four women would be the heart of the show well, yeah, I love that because you see it generation through generation, and then you actually get to travel in time with them. It's not the only thing that's kind of changed from the comic books, and I'm actually a little curious about this. Um, Let's get we'll uh, Go ahead. her power set has changed a little bit. Oh yeah, and uh, the question I have: is, Oh yeah, buddy, was that was that? Let's uh, go. All right, <laughs> yeah, gloves are off. Was that a direction because uh, they wanted to distinguish her from Reed Richards and the Mr. Fantastic? And of course, maybe um, that the Inhumans show didn't do quite as well as they hoped. Did they want to try and push it away from that? Or was this a decision like, hey, no, the character would actually make more sense if we were to follow a different story path? I will say to the first two in terms of the read riches of it all, I actually don't know the answer to that. That was their reasoning from the start. But from the start that I went in there, I was it was clear that we were changing the powers from the beginning of that process. So full stop. I had to build from a point of that's what we're doing. <laughs> um, so I don't know if it was because of any of the reasons you've listed, but that's just where the, the, that's sort of just where the conversation started. And so for me, I was like, okay, well, if we're changing the powers, it ha- the pow- whatever we change them do have to be inherently linked to her character journey and have to be inherently linked to what she's struggling with as a person. And as a teenage Muslim American Pakistani girl, um, Muslim Pakistani American girl. And so that was that connectivity, which exists in the comics between her power set and what she's going through and what she's going through in the TV show and her power set had to be inherently linked. And I hope that that's, I mean, certain people, some, I'm sure some people will never be happy with that change. And that's, that's life. That's, I accept it. But um, that was where I was at. And that's what we were trying to build is that that connectivity felt so of utmost importance to me that um, it really is the foundation of the whole show. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. No, there, there is a part of this where like, when I first heard about it, I was like, Ooh, that that's different from the comic books. And I knew a bunch of people were just going to be like, you know, the diehard fans who are like, no, it has to be this way, no matter what it's like, uh, which I respect. I understand diehard fandom. I'm I've I've been there. So I completely understand. I don't have any um, illusions or hard feelings about that. I completely get it. I love the changes. I I I actually really do because it makes it uh, her powers feel more a part of her character than rather just her being a part of this other like world, it actually f- makes it feel like she's more, I, I guess I want to say more unique than, than just, Oh, she's just an inhuman. Just like, you know, with the X-Men be like, Oh, they're, they're just a mutant. Like, so I actually liked what ended up happening. And if you doubt Norm, you could go back and listen to past episodes. <laughs> I don't doubt you. That I will say there's one episode left. Full stop. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Wait, spoiler. Spoiler. <laughs> Now, now I can't wait for Wednesday. So we touched a little bit on like identity and, and the way the different pieces of um, that make up this character that make her so interesting and unique, but also like this moment of representation that is incredibly important and refreshing and warm and honestly just joyous. I feel like in the, in the past, though, with Marvel and Disney, um, religion is not necessarily something that has been incorporated a lot into different stories. I think that's starting to change a little bit, but I'm wondering as like, you know, with a character that is a lot of firsts, especially when it comes to like having a first Muslim American um, superhero, did you feel like there were some challenges with that or did it all come together quite naturally? You know, were there concerns about how that would be portrayed or, or received? Yeah. I mean, received, that's just being a Muslim in 2022. 
but I so there's always concerns about how you'll be received but there's huge swathe of that that I can't do anything about so you know but the in terms of what we're going to portray on screen um the thing that was important was separating out um she's not got powers because she's Muslim being Muslim is part of who she is um and it's just the fabric of her day-to-day life which I think we expressed really clearly in episodes one two and three especially where you're seeing it just be a part of her life like her because she's from a Muslim family her brother's gonna have a Muslim wedding um because she's from a Muslim family she who and her family attends the masjid or the mosque she's gonna end up going there so those are just part of her everyday life in a season of television we would see and so um that was kind of a delineation that was really important and I think the in terms of worrying about what people have to say about it I don't know man I'm old. I'm too old to worry too much about what people have to say. I think uh, I'm old. I'm young, but I'm old in terms of like worrying constantly and trying to be a, a good example of something or a bad example of something or tread a line to satisfy other people's opinions of a thing or, or uh, kind of tone something down or make it bigger to meet somebody else's standards. I'm like, all right, guys, it's too much. Let's just tell the story we want to tell that we're proud of. And I think that's really what we're chasing in terms of all that representation. Not to say that some of those fears from the Muslim community aren't completely valid. My gosh, I have the same fears. And we can only approach from this place of compassion and hope that people can pick up what we're putting down in those terms. And that's <laughs> true representation, right? I hope so. <laughs> she became, when, when she was first introduced in the comic book, she was, she got met with a little bit of fan backlash, but pretty quickly she started getting accepted because she's an exceptional character. Um, with many people comparing her, uh, basically calling her the modern day Spider-Man. She's a very real person who has real human problems that she's trying mm-hmm. to deal with her family and with her social life and everything like that. Um, was it hard for you to make the teen experience that she has to go through relatable for an audience that has be so, been so uh, accustomed to what marvel has been doing because phase four has been breaking a lot of mm-hmm. um a different like stories uh, what they're saying i would say yeah, i would i would push back on this i would say if you look at all the spidey movies does that count as i don't know what it counts as yeah i don't know what the phases are anymore but if you look at all those spidey movies, that's so much of that's a teenage, teenage experience we love that gang of three we love seeing them hang out together whether the stakes are massive and the the, the multiverse is collapsing oh my gosh i don't even know the words anymore um regardless of what the stakes are that's the teen experience him and his little his guy in the chair and Zendaya like that's the whole that is the teen experience so I would say that we are accustomed to it I think that we do know what it is to be a teenager in the modern world and to follow those stories and be excited by them um and I think there's just another chapter inside of it and I think on a kind of how do I say it? is that sounding too depressing on a on a largely like existential kind of scale when I hear people say it, it actually weirdly and this is just me personally, I'm not speaking for anybody else in this. When I hear people say like, oh, I'm surprised by how relatable this character was. And when I know that they're not talking about teenager, they're talking about her being Muslim and being Pakistani American because they're overtly stating, I'm surprised that I'm able to relate so much. I'm like, part of me is like, guys, you guys can, re- everyone here can relate to a raccoon that can talk and a tree that says one line and can emote. And it's so shocking to you that you can relate to someone who could be your neighbor and that like existentially about the state of the planet makes me deeply unhappy. So there's something about that I find really surprising a refrain that people say really casually and really from a positive place. Like, I, 
surprised I can relate. Um, I'm like, please don't like have uh, higher expectations for your capacity for empathy for human life. Like there's more in this world than um, there's these, these characters are really real to me. I feel like Kamala in terms of the ground elements, superpowers aside for a second, like that, that's a kid that lives in your neighborhood. You can relate to her, I promise. Just try. So there's something about that that always kind of, perhaps maybe I shouldn't have said all this, but it just kind of rankles me a little bit. I'm like, this is a this is a real person. I don't know what's not relatable about another human being. Oh, I get it. I hear you a thousand yeah. percent. It's 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 like the conversations about Star Trek where they're like, or Star Wars even. They're like, how come there's like a black person or somebody, an Asian person? The, and you're like, there, you what believe you there was a blue about? alien with four eyes, but then now you see a person of color and that's confusing to you? Like I don't get it. I'm so surprised. I can't bear it. I find that really, I find that really sad. Yeah. It's kind of it's it's a gift in a way. It's at least that they do feel like they can relate, that which is good. They got there eventually. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> it's a very revealing kind of thing to say. <laughs> and I think it's I think it comes also from places like uh how to communicate a thing sometimes I don't think they are use people are using necessarily the word relate in the way that I'm hearing it um which is fair that's just communication I say I do say all of what I just said with empathy and with like compassion for the fact that this is what media has done to us for <laughs> quite a while but I find that I find that like in a really fundamental level I'm like of course you can relate this kid lives in your neighborhood and I think that's really important well I do think in the United States there's a lot of people though who never come across anybody different than from them, which it's hard to know because when you live in, you know, Jersey City in the East Coast, like I grew up in New York, you're around a lot of this diversity, but there are huge sections of this country that they don't really have a lot of day-to-day interaction. And I'd say in a way, that's why these shows are really important that Marvel is taking on these shows because people can normalize seeing other people that, oh my God, I have so much in common with, right? Like, yeah, it's a good like, thing in the end. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It is a good thing. Sorry, I don't mean to come off negative. I yeah. think I was <laughs> just right. having a moment of like, but the raccoon guys, rocket raccoon. Exactly. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. But um, I'm going to get in trouble, but it's all right. That's life. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's all right because we've got some other questions that might also get you in trouble. Great. <laughs> <I'm wondering. laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Are there any Easter eggs that you can reveal that you're not sure have, have been sussed out by the public yet that have happened within the series? I'm very careful about what I look at online because I'm a very sensitive baby. Um, so I'm, I'm set. I get like trusted friends to be like, oh, have you seen this reaction video? And they'll send me like safe things for me to watch. And honestly, everyone sussed it all out already. You see all our Easter eggs. I wonder if everyone caught the kind of giant basket of literal Easter eggs that Charmaine put in episode four, where during that, um, during the the truck and the rickshaw um, chase that happens in the streets of Karachi, one of the things that get knocked over is like a bucket and the bu- it's like a crate and out of the crate, literal Easter eggs just fall out of the crate. <laughs> oh, I missed oh that. Did not catch that. I That's hope that awesome. has made some lists. Shamin's joke is always like, yeah, I put loads of Easter eggs in for you guys. Um, I don't know if there's anything <laughs> you've missed. I think some of the kind of the deeper stuff that's like even in the... Um, um, art design and on some of the set deck there's loads of easter eggs and things like that I think AvengerCon itself was probably the most easter egg heavy um, to date in terms of all of the episodes but I don't think there's anything that anybody's missed I don't know I probably missed them as well you know after a certain point with this um, with with one episode left what so what have you been witnessing that you've that you while you've been watching that you've been really pleased with how it came out overall like you're like wow that really landed better than I thought 
Um, I mean, all of it, because that's just being a creative, right? It's like, oh God, wow, it actually works um, in terms of it landed. I think the thing that was most powerful and effective was certainly in episode five, that first 25 minutes. It was a bit of a risk going to a different two characters that we'd never seen in person before or spent time with. But the luck of it, or the luck, but the again, the, the brilliance of... Um, Seraphine in casting especially uh, is we had Merwish Hyatt and Fawad Khan and they are just so stunning to look at uh, they're so immediately you're in on their chemistry so immediately you're in on their relationship and I think that um, that story felt like it could have been a risk that love story but it felt so important to us and it felt like this is where this whole thing has been leading up to um, I think it came off really well I think the scene on the platform which was the hardest thing to write the hardest thing to build to the most personally painful thing for a lot of us writers I think it came out really well and I think um, I'm really I'm really proud of that sequence and I think that couldn't have gone any better than what we hoped for for that sequence and I think the other thing that came out really well I think AvengerCon looks like a dope time we should all go to AvengerCon I think I felt really proud of that episode one and that um <laughs> that whole sequence was so joyful and make that real yeah I also just love all the, the the whole team is so brilliant so all of the way that that world was brought to life and her internal world was brought to life um I get a lot of people asking if Kamala Khan has ADHD and I'm because it's they're like they feel like um, other ADHDs feel like, oh, I'm, I'm witnessing the closest approximation of what the inside of my brain looks like. And I can't say that Kamala Khan has it or Miss Marvel has it, but I have it. And if you're seeing it, you're seeing it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's an element of that that I'm like, oh, that's cool. And also when I wrote it, I wasn't diagnosed. I got diagnosed relatively recently. So I was like, oh, that's cool. I kind of learned something about myself in real time and people are connecting to that element. And that's really, that felt personally very fulfilling to me that that's something that people can see. That's so interesting because the, the, the whole story is about intergenerational trauma. And I, I feel like lately in my, in my day job, that I um, do a bit of, of research on, on things like this at times. And um, something that we'd come across was people talk a lot about how there's undiagnosed ADHD within their families that comes as a result of intergenerational trauma. And so the way that that's all tying in is, is just, um, I don't know, so well done. I mean, even if it wasn't I mean, that, intentional. That sounds like just... it was luck, but that sounds, that's a great little nugget that I'm stealing to say in other interviews. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting. I had no idea. Um, so um, I think we have to wrap up soon, but I hope you have a time for just a couple more questions. Sure. We, we have like a little bit of a lightning round that we'd like to play. Okay. Be nice, but yes. Uh, okay, it's just it's just uh, one or the other questions. Um, we call it our Furious Four. Our Furious okay. Four. <laughs> <laughs> Say dramatically. I'm furious for and and so uh, we're gonna start off with uh, Jersey City or Karachi. Oh, Karachi. I the ugh was because I didn't want to choose, but for me personally, <laughs> I haven't been to Jersey City. Karachi, I know Karachi, but Karachi. Fair enough. Uh, Avengers or Young Avengers? Ooh, spicy question. Um, <sighs> So I know there's a lightning round, but I'm lost in my feelings. Um, do you know what? Look to the future, baby. Young Avengers. Yeah, nice. nice. Uh, Miss Marvel's comic powers or her TV show powers? Get out of here with that question. Not answering <laughs> that question. Get out of here. Yeah, definitely TV show <laughs> we, powers. Though. We teed Emily up for that one. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you really put her in it, guys. All right, then you can get the last one. Yeah, too, Emily. Emily, you can ask the last one then because the last one, which I think I wrote, <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> Bruno or Kamran? Oh my which god! You also asked, sort of answered a little bit. 
<laughs> like Bruno Okaman or Red Dagger, guys. Like, why are we taking him off the table? Um, all three, I guess. I'm t- I, I root for all of them. Oh. That's fair. That's a good right. question. Well, that's what all our questions. What, Bruno Cameron uh, for you. Yeah, Emilia, uh, did you answer this on the podcast? I don't think so, but I don't know. I think that that introduction of Cameron was. <laughs> I was like, bad, if bad, bad, bad I boy. were, if yes. I were at Kamala's age, you know, he I also drives really... a nice car, and you love Fast and Furious, so <laughs> just floating that. That would have made an impression on me very much. Yeah, and the. The, the the jump from the top of the roof like don't try this at home but he really nailed that jump into the pool don't know why he did it but he did it it was great yeah. i mean like nowadays as an adult i'd be like oh that's like silly but as as a child but... yeah he's a cool guy 16, at the party. you gotta put yourself in there yeah yeah i'm with you <laughs> well so i guess the final question would be uh what do you have moving forward what's the next project can you talk about it oh my gosh so i've got two very very thrilling projects on the boil and i wish i could we've been on we're in production for one all summer and i wish i could talk about it but i am legally obliged not to um but i'm sure that will come out soon in terms of announcements about it and then kind of the big thing for me that's like more about myself is that i'm working on a feature that i'm going to hopefully be directing very soon so that's kind of the next step in the land of fisher kelly and i'm really so excited about it congratulations thank you yeah is it is it a genre film or is it a little bit, a little bit. I don't think there's anything. I, don't, I doubt that I'll probably, I'll do much that isn't slightly genre at least. So yes, it is mm-hmm. in the genre space. But yeah, I'm thrilled. I'm so excited. Wonderful. Congrats on that. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for stepping into the verse with us. Uh, best of luck going forward with your project that you can't discuss, um, the feature film and, and everything else going forward. Um, thank you so much again for being with us and taking time out to be a part of the verse. My pleasure. Thank you so much, guys. Have a good one. That was our interview with Bisha K. Ali, writer and producer from Ms. Marvel. We hope you enjoyed her perspective and are as excited as we are to watch the finale this week. We'll be back soon with more coverage of your favorite movies and TV shows across the pop culture multiverse. So long, and thanks for listening to The Verse. The Verse is presented by ScreenRadar.com and produced by Stephen Kruzakowski.